Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. How many people noticed when you drove into the church this morning that there is a chute uh, on the front of the church for the roofing project? Did anybody, anybody notice that? All right, very good. All right. How many people thought, as soon as you looked at that, that would be amazing to try as a slide? Anybody? All right. Okay. Again, I fall in the minority of the service this morning for maturity, but man, I, I, just, I just think that would be a riot to try. The other thing is... Amanda and I now have been here 14, 14 months, and there's this phenomenon called the Northern Lights that everybody talks about and sometimes posts pictures on Facebook, and, and we have been desperate to see the Northern Lights. In fact, we have this little app that'll tell us, hey, you have a chance to see the Northern Lights if you look outside right now, and we've learned that most of the time it lies. Um, but uh, but uh, even, I think, like earlier, later in the fall last year, there was like, man, your chance is like 86%. So we drove out to this dirt road and like uh, sat there. We didn't park. We sat there for 45 minutes, all right? Um, unfortunately, we were waiting for the lights. Um, so we sat there for 45 minutes and nothing. And so Friday night, we actually had a night away. We were down in Edmonton and just having a great time. And we get this text from somebody in Lloyd. If you look outside right now, you can see the northern lights. I was like, come on. Like, I really? And so maybe someday we will be able to see these northern lights. We're looking forward to it. Uh, they look amazing in pictures and hoping to experience that at some point uh, in real life as well. Um, starting a new series today, it's called What a Difference Three Days Makes, and I love starting new series uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's because we're, we're taking another adventure to see, to see where God wants to lead us and what he wants to teach us. And secondly, uh, it is Donut Sunday, and so those are two great reasons to start and to be excited about a new series. And so you've likely heard the expression, what a difference a day makes. You've probably maybe even used that in your life. Um, it, this phrase actually became popular uh, after Dinah Washington released her song by the same name in 1959. And the opening lyrics of, the, of that song are as follows. What a difference a day makes. 24 little hours brought the sun and the flowers where there used to be rain. And so that phrase is usually, but not always used to describe a very positive change in somebody's life in a very short period of time. And as we look into our series, as we focus our attention towards Easter, and we think, what a difference three days makes. Three days changed the entire course of history and eternity for the human race. Three days brought hope when all seemed lost. Three days transformed a fearful group of people into some of the boldest people the world has ever seen. Three days resulted in an offer of peace that far exceeds the expectations of the human heart and mind. On the night before the three days that we're going to be looking at, Jesus actually set up a means for us to remember what those three days accomplished. And we, we now celebrate that as the Lord's Supper or communion. Communion is a reminder that Jesus died for us, that he paid the full penalty for our sin on the cross. 
Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers while he's here on earth, wrote this in 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus' payment on the cross was the, was the full payment for our sin. It made it possible to, for us to live in obedience to God and be in an eternal relationship with him. But at the beginning of the three days, there was a death. Jesus died on the cross, and, and those involved in putting Jesus to death and those who loved him and followed him assumed that his teachings and his promises died with him. But three days later, everything changed. The one who promised eternal life and forgiveness of sin proved his ability to deliver on those promises by rising from the dead. Again, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. What a difference three days makes from feeling that all was lost to realizing that there's an eternal inheritance available for us through faith in Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection. So this morning as we celebrate communion, we celebrate because we're confident in the fact that through our personal faith in Jesus, our sins have been forgiven and our eternal life is secure through him. Communion has another element though. It's also a chance not only to remember what Christ has accomplished for us, it's a, it's a chance for us to ask the Lord to examine us. A time to reflect and for us to, to look into ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to point out anything that is not representing Christ well. Anything that we are doing that, that takes the focus off him. Anything that we are doing that is sinful, that, that, that is going on in our lives. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal that to us. And when that comes to mind, we don't need to brood over it. We don't need to feel miserable and guilty about it. We need to recognize that it's wrong. We need to recognize that it's sin. And then we need to just rest in the fact of 1 John 1, 9, where it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need, to, we need just simply to confess and say, God, that is not an area that reflects you well in my life, and I am sorry for that. We also get to evaluate our relationships with other people. God, am I, am I living as a follower of Jesus? Am I living in the love that he said would identify us as believers in Jesus Christ by our love for one another? Is there any bitterness that I'm holding in my heart against somebody? Is there any unforgiveness that I'm holding in my heart against somebody? And if there is, we need to, we need to confess that and we need to seek to make that right. And so communion is, is a, an opportunity for remembrance. It's an opportunity for reflection. It's also an opportunity for, for repentance. And so as the servers come this morning, I'm just gonna challenge you just to take a quiet moment, ask the Holy Spirit to examine your life, and then as they pass out the elements as well, um, we will um, just encourage you to pray and ask the Lord's um, direction, guidance, conviction in, into your life as well. So just pray, and then the servers will pass out the elements this morning. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Lord, thank you that this time of remembrance, Lord, remembering your broken body and your shed blood, Lord, is a time to remember what it accomplished for us, 
It's a time for us to evaluate. Um, if, we're, if we're living up to that standard you'd called us to, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to repent of those wrong attitudes and actions that may be present in our lives. So Lord, I just pray that even this morning in this communion service, you would just draw us closer to you and help us to rejoice and to celebrate in what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said for us to do this in remembrance of him. So for the rest of our time this morning, um, I have the privilege of looking into uh, the part that Pontius Pilate played uh, in these three days. And Pilate is one of the key players of the account of Easter. He was the Roman governor who was at that time uh, tasked with, among other things, keeping the peace in Jerusalem. Early uh, one Friday morning, that peace was threatened. A man, Jesus of Nazareth, um, had been arrested and there was a mob who wanted nothing less than for him to be crucified. As governor, Pilate was the one who was going to preside over that trial. And this morning, as we look at Pilate, um, we're going to see the difficult situation that he was put in. We're also going to see his weak attempts to absolve himself of, of Jesus' case and, and the, the guilt in dealing with that. We're also going to see how foolish he got in his speaking with Jesus. And I think there are a number of things, a couple of things that we can apply to our lives as well as we, as we look into uh, Pilate's story. So looking forward to sharing that with you today. So, of course, if you've read the account of Jesus' crucifixion, you have met Pontius Pilate. You've encountered him. 
Pilate became the governor of Judea around AD 26, and he held that position for about 10 years uh, till late AD 36 or early AD 37. His time as governor was marked with really poor decisions, and, and often they ended up with violence. Very early after his posting in Judea, uh, he was kind of, seems like he was almost testing the water, seeing what he could get away with in his new position of authority in, in Judea. And he brought in these um, standards or, or war flags, basically, into Jerusalem. And on those war flags, there was the picture of, of the reigning emperor at the time, Emperor Tiberius. And this, this was wrong on a number of levels. Number one, um, it was an offense to the Jews, of course, because um, bringing in the, the captor's image, you know, was, was, was offensive to them. But not only that, they had strong rules in Jerusalem that, that nobody's image was ever to be displayed on a flag inside the city. And so Pilate brings these in and, and kind of tries to, again, exert his authority a little bit. And as a result, a, a large protest uh, gathered. And these people protested, and they were outside of his home for about five days. And so Pilate's finally like, well, I'm, I'm done with this protest. Uh, I'm going to send soldiers into the crowd. And at my command, they'll draw their swords, and anybody who won't leave will just put to death. And he thought, okay, again, I'm trying to assert my authority. And so he, he went in, and, and, and he had the soldiers go in, and at his command, they drew their swords, and, and they threatened the people, look, if you don't leave, we'll put you to death. And their response was very simple. They actually just laid down on the ground with their necks exposed so that, so that Pilate and his, and his soldiers would have an easier job killing them. Well, that really kind of bothered Pilate, and he didn't know what to do, so he, he called off the troops. Nobody actually died in that situation, but, but he really had made a mess of things. Didn't start his rule well in, in Jerusalem and in Judea, didn't, didn't win any points with the locals, and, of course, didn't earn any points with, uh, with his emperor, the one who was ruling over him. A few years after that, um, Pilate actually stole money from the, the sacred treasury in Jerusalem. Took money, um, probably didn't think he was stealing, but he took money from the, from the treasury in Jerusalem. And um, this caused a, a stir as well. He just stu- uh, borrowed it, actually took it for a, for a capital project. Wanted to build an aqueduct into, into the city. So he took the money from the sacred treasury, builds this aqueduct, and, and that didn't go over well either. And so there was another large protest in Jerusalem and the crowds gather. And again, Pilate's job is to keep the peace. And so he's not doing a very good job at it. So he's like, okay, I'm going to send some plainclothes soldiers into the, into the crowd, sort of to just intersperse with them. And then on my command, uh, they didn't have the swords this time. They had clubs. And on my command, they're going to pull out the clubs and just beat anybody in the crowd that they could really come in contact with. And so at his command, uh, the, 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 the clubs came out, and, and as a result of that, a number of people uh, died, either from the beatings themselves or as the people were trying to get away, um, many people were trampled uh, in, the, in, the, in the chaos. And so um, there's another writer, an ancient writer named Philo. He again noted that his, the pilot's relationship with the emperor wasn't very good, and he was actually quite concerned that Tiberius would discover the briberies, the insults, the robberies, the outrages, the wanton injuries, the execution without trial constantly repeated, the ceaseless and supremely grievous cruelty that Pilate allegedly committed. So Pilate wasn't a really great guy, wasn't a really kind guy. We see this again after the death of Jesus in about AD 36 or AD 37. There was a number of Samaritans who had been misled by a false teacher. And this false teacher had, had convinced them that Moses, somewhere on Mount Gerizim, had buried some ancient artifacts. 
And so thousands of people came together to, to head up to Mount Gerizim to, uh, to dig up these and to excavate these artifacts and to try to find them. Pilate, for some reason, saw this as a, as a uh, statement of protest or an act of protest. And so he sent in the cavalry and he sends them in and, and just basically wiped people out. Slaughtered a number of people, most of the people that were there. A few people escaped and, and gave a report to the governor in the next, uh, next location over. This, this governor gave the report to Tiberius, and Tiberius actually ordered that Pilate be removed from his post and come back to, uh, to Rome to stand trial. We don't know what end Pilate experienced. We're going to look at that maybe at the end. There's a couple theories of, of what happened to Pilate. But what I want you to understand is that Pilate wasn't afraid to kill people. Pilate wasn't afraid to, to offend people. Um, Pilate really was concerned mostly about himself, keeping his posting, keeping his position. But this trial for Jesus is unique. Because as you read the gospel accounts, you see this, this ruler, this emperor, uh, governor at that time, who seemed that he couldn't make up his mind. Seemed like he couldn't make a, a just decision and, and stick with it. And he wavers back and forth and, and he tries in, in, in many different ways to, to not make a decision in this case. So what was it about Jesus? What was it that Pilate encountered? Why was this decision such a difficult one for Pilate? So what we want to do this morning is I just want to walk through the gospel account with you of this trial. I want you to see uh, Pilate's interaction with Jesus. And we're going to see that... that um, he seemed to pick up early on that Jesus was unique and that Jesus wasn't just an ordinary man and, and that really bothered Pilate. In fact, we're going to see it, it scared him to death hardly, pretty much. Luke chapter 23, uh, it says this. The whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate and the chief, uh, said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Earlier, the Jews had arrested uh, Jesus. They had taken him into a couple of trials that were really mock trials. They were, they were really against their own laws and customs. And they just wanted any reason they could to put Jesus to death. And they accused Jesus of blasphemy, claiming to be the Son of God. But when they bring Jesus to Pilate, they don't go there. They don't mention that. They know that Pilate is more concerned about politics than religion. And so then they, they falsely accuse Jesus before Pilate, saying, hey, hey, Jesus is saying that we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. He's teaching us against that, and he's making himself a king. This should have made the case pretty cut and dry for Pilate. It should have just been, well, he's rebelling against Rome, he's committing treason against Rome, he'll put him to death. And here we see, even in Luke chapter 23 and 3 and 4, there's the last two verses, and Pilate said to him, are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Now if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them have this same interaction. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so. And I don't know about you, but when I looked at that originally, I thought, man, that seems a little dodgy. You know, that seems like Jesus isn't really being straightforward. That, that, that actually, if as a parent, if I went to my sons and I said to them, hey, did you leave the car without any gas last night so that I, I don't have any gas? And if they looked at me and said, well, you have said so, 
I wouldn't like that. We'd be having words, you know. Uh, we really would be having some words. And, 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 and like I was looking, like, what does this response mean from Jesus? Like, well, you have said so. And we notice uh, the public commentary says this. Jesus answered, you say, was in the affirmative, amounting to this. What you are saying is true. So Jesus' answer isn't dodgy. He's not like passing the buck. He's just saying, what you're saying, are you king of the Jews? Yes, I'm king of the Jews. And again, this again seems to be a little dodgy, you know, or not, not dodgy, but it just seems to be very direct. It seems to be in the fact that like Pilate shouldn't have had a hard time making this decision. So why did he go back out? Why did he go back out and say to the people, I find no guilt in this man? Jesus has just confessed to being a king. Seemed to be pretty, like, that would be treason against Rome. So how come Pilate declared him innocent? If we look in the answer, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John don't record, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't record that for us, but John does. And if you look in John chapter 18, you see the sort of the extended version. It's like Lord of the Rings, you know, you have the regular version and the extended version. Well, John gives us the extended version of Jesus' interrogation. And in John chapter 18, it says this, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over, by, over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness uh, to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So it's interesting, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. He goes back out and says, I find no guilt in him. Why? Because in John, we see why. Jesus said to him, yeah, I'm a king, but my kingdom isn't of this world. And so as Pilate's listening, he, he begins to understand that, that Jesus isn't a political threat, threat to Rome at all. He is not a threat to, to, to Rome. He's not a challenge to Rome's authority. He's not trying to lead a revolt against Rome politically. So Pilate goes back out and says, I have no reason to put this guy to death. And in fact, over the next few hours, Pilate tries everything that he can to get out of trying this case, to get out of putting Jesus to death. He understands that Jesus is innocent. And actually, he also picks up on something. Mark chapter 15, verse 10 says this. For he, Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. So Pilate is questioning Jesus, and he realizes that he's innocent. He also realizes that the, the problem is more of a religious problem, that the, the, the Jewish religious leaders don't like Jesus. They don't like what he's teaching, and they're trying to find a way to get rid of him. And so he realizes that he's being played, but yet he's also stuck. They've brought him, they want, they've brought Jesus to him, they want a decision. And so he's like, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of making a decision and declaring a, 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 a verdict in Jesus' case? And as he comes up with a plan, and we see this in Matthew chapter 27, 15 through 17. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious, they, they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Pilate thought he had it licked here. He's like, I got a plan. We have Jesus. Jesus who has raised the dead. Jesus who has healed the sick, made the lame people walk. Jesus who has fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. 
I'm going to offer them him for release or Barabbas, who has led a revolt. He's a violent criminal. He's guilty of murder. The choice is so obvious. When the choice is presented, there's no way. They're they're not going to choose Barabbas. They're going to choose Jesus and I'll be off the hook. And sometime after he presents this option, uh, he's waiting in the governor's seat, the seat of judgment. And he gets a, a message from his wife. Matthew 27, 19, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today. And I said in the first service, the message, really the point is, gentlemen, listen to your wives, right? Listen to your wives. That's what this wife sent this message to Pilate saying, don't do it. Don't have anything to do with him. You know, and and Pilate, that made him afraid. That made him nervous. Uh, and, and again, just, just afraid of what's going on. Pilate's still thinking he's got it licked, and then the plan backfired. Instead of asking for Jesus' release, the crowd asked for, for Barabbas to be released. And then Pilate says this in Matthew 27. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. Luke tells us that Pilate tried three times to find a different result. Question them three times, trying, them, trying to convince them not to ask for this crucifixion. John 19 describes um, Pilate's next attempt to, to satisfy the crowd's bloodlust. He said, okay, I'm not going to crucify him, but I'll send him away to be scourged. To send him away to be beaten. And as you read the accounts of, of history, what this scourging was like, it was, it was an awful thing. We, we focus on the cross and the suffering on the cross, which is, which is legitimate. It was, it was a terrible suffering. But the scourging was, was, was a horrible event as well where, where the person would be severely disfigured. Um, they're, they're, the whip that was used would have bone and bits of glass in it and it would dig into the flesh and it, just, it was very, very painful, very agonizing. So Jesus endures that, and then the, then the um, soldiers put a crown of thorns on him in, in mockery, and of course that, those thorns dig into his skull and drawing blood, and then they put the, uh, the, the purple robe on him and mock him as king. And we pick up that story in John 19. It says this, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard that statement, he was even more afraid. So Pilate knows he has an innocent man in front of him. Pilate knows that that the Jews are just delivering him up because of envy. Pilate knows that his wife has warned him against dealing with Jesus. And now the Jews reveal the fact that he claims to be the Son of God, claims rightly to be the Son of God. And he was afraid. He was scared. This, this put him in a, a predicament that, that actually terrified him. And Pilate did what most of us do when we're scared. He, he was scared. And then he got angry and then he did something really stupid, really stupid. And I don't know if that process follows in your life, but it follows in mine. I get scared, then I get angry, and then I do something that I shouldn't do. Pilate, 
hears that Jesus made himself to be the son of God and he, he goes back in to speak with Jesus. And he confronts Jesus and, and, and he, he begins to ask him if he's the son of God. And, and Jesus again doesn't say things. John 19, 10. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? You see the mistake? You see the foolishness that, that Pilate walked into? He's angry, scared, angry, and then he says something really stupid. He says to Jesus, don't you know that I'm in charge of you? Don't you know that I determine your outcome, your destiny? Do we ever do that with God? Do we ever say to God, don't you know I'm in charge here? I think we probably do. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But Jesus' response to Pilate is, is fantastic. And, and if I was Pilate, I, I think I would just sit on the floor and cry. Because really, it says this, John 19, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. We don't have time to look in all the details of that. But in that moment, Pilate realized, man, I, I am in trouble. I am in trouble. And he went back out. He tried to talk the Jews out of having Jesus crucified. They will not give in. And Pilate senses that there's, there's such tension and unrest brewing in the city. He's like, I've been charged with keeping peace. I've already blown it a, a number of times. I've already messed it up with the Jews. I've already messed it up with the emperor. How am I going to deal with this properly? So he decides to, to wash his hands and say, look, I'm not guilty of this guy's blood. You take him and, and crucify him. But in, in doing that, he condemns Jesus to die. It's interesting, though, as, as Pilate, you know, pronounces this sentence on Jesus and sends Jesus to be crucified, he sends along a sign from himself to put on the cross. And he puts on that cross, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. The Jews didn't like that. And they're like, no, 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 no. Say that this is Jesus. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate says, no, no. I've written what I've written. See, he understood. He understood there was something about Jesus. He understood that, that there was just, just a difference and he wasn't sure what it was. So Jesus dies on the cross Three days later, he comes back to life. Who do you think was one of the most terrified people in Jerusalem? Rome was a, 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 a culture of conquest, a culture of vengeance. And Pilate, who had sentenced Jesus to death, I am sure was terrified. Is Jesus going to come back? Is he going to seek revenge on me? Is he going to take my life for taking his? But we know this was never Jesus' point. Jesus, as he died on the cross, he was paying the price for Pilate's sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he was paying the price for the religious leaders who, who wanted him dead. He was paying the price for that sin. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sin so that he could extend forgiveness. Pilate would have expected vengeance when he met Jesus. But if you ever had the opportunity to meet Jesus face to face, he would have received the offer of forgiveness, which is absolutely fascinating. We don't really know what happened with Pilate. History's unclear of, of what happened next, other than with the Samaritans, he, he kind of blew it, and then they send him back to Rome. And as he's traveling back to Rome, the emperor Tiberius, who was going to put him on trial, passes away. So he never got to stand trial before Tiberius. And the next emperor, who was Caligula, steps in, and, and he had no contact really with Pilate at all. And um, 
history's unclear. There's a number of outcomes that could have happened with Pilate. Number one, uh, Caligula could have said, look, you really messed up, so you need to kill yourself. Number two, uh, it's rumored that maybe uh, Pilate was exiled and that he was sent away in exile and because of the shame of that, that he ended up killing himself. And the third one that's out there is the fact that, and you see this in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, they have actually venerated him as, as Pilate as a saint, saying that he became a believer of Jesus and, and taught people about him. I honestly don't know. History really can't conclusively say what happened with Pilate. We can't know for sure, um, but we do know this. We do know there's a number of things that we can learn from Pilate. There's a number of things that, that we need to, as we, as we look into uh, Pilate's life, we need to say, how does his life apply to mine? How, does his, how do his decisions apply to mine? One of the first things we see about Pilate is that Pilate didn't stand up to the crowd. He was more concerned about his status. He was more concerned about his position. He was more concerned about his reputation than doing the right thing in judgment. He didn't, he didn't say, no, this guy is innocent. I'm not going to do this. He didn't say, no, uh, you know, I've, I've questioned him and, and he's got something going on spiritually, religiously. You know? He didn't say, no, I know this is just out of envy that you've got him here. I'm not going to put him to death. He knew all these things to be true, but what he did instead was he gave in to the crowd. If I don't give in to this crowd, I will lose my status. If I don't give in to the crowd, I will lose my position. If I don't give in to the crowd, I will lose my reputation. I think, how many times do I do that? How many times do we do that? As believers in Jesus Christ, how many times are we given the opportunity to stand for him, but, but we let the noise of the crowd intimidate us? I think there's a couple ways that we can do that. Number one, I think we can be intimidated in actually sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what, doing that one-on-one, -on -one, it's not easy. It's hard and we, we come up with all the excuses. I come up with all the excuses of why it's not the right time to bring up the gospel. And we think, ah, if I bring this up, maybe they'll make fun of me. Ah, if I bring this up, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll joke about me at work. I'll be the, the one they whisper about as I walk by. And we let the noise of the crowd intimidate us out of sharing our faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe it's at, at school, maybe it's in the sports teams, maybe it's wherever. Not only do we not share the faith of Jesus Christ, but, but maybe we don't stand up against wrong. Are we the ones who, who step in when there's gossip and we put an end to gossip? Are we the ones who, when there's an inappropriate joke being told, are we the ones that end that joke or are we the ones that, that keep it going forward? Are we more concerned with the noise of the crowd and the acceptance and approval of the crowd than we are about pleasing the one who died for us so that we could live for him? Not only that, we see that Pilate was foolish enough to think that he was in charge. I think so many times we, we trick ourselves into this as well. We let our pride, we let our arrogance well up inside of us and, and we say to God, whether deliberately or just out of our own arrogance, just say, you know what? I'm in charge here. I'm in charge of my destiny. I'm in charge of my life. There's a passage of scripture, book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20 and 21. It's a tough passage of scripture. I actually walked into Doug's office this week and I said, I'm thinking of closing with this passage. What do you think? He said, no, you, you need to do it, but it's not an easy one. So I want to read that for you today. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, and, and uh, earth and sky fell away, and no place was found for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Here's an amazing contrast of the destinies that, that wait for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ and those of us who reject Jesus Christ. That first one, as we look through, we see that those people who thought that they were in charge, who thought that they were in control and said, no, I am in charge of my destiny. I don't answer to you, I answer to me. And they went through their entire life, they never surrendered to Jesus Christ. They never accepted by faith the gift that Jesus Christ offers. And as they stand before God, the judgment is pronounced. They are guilty of their sin and they are condemned forever to an eternity in hell. But there is that con con uh, contrast. There is that moment where, where those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have recognized that they're not in charge, they are not the ones who are in control, they submitted to Jesus, they received him by faith. The contrast is amazing. Welcomed into heaven with God, to be eternally in his presence, to have him wipe away their tears and to enjoy his presence forever. That's a day I would, I would ask you, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Are you standing in, in the place of Pilate and saying, I have the authority. I'm going to control this destiny. I'm going to control my outcome. Or are you standing in the place of somebody who's wise and who said, you know what? Standing alone, I can't be accepted into God's presence. I need to accept what Jesus Christ has done for me. I need to accept that his death was for me that the forgiveness he offers is for me and that by receiving him that I can be assured of a friendship with him now on earth and eternal life in heaven. So I challenge you, consider seriously where you stand. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, I would encourage you, come talk to me, come talk to Doug, anybody that's wearing a volunteer t-shirt, uh, speak with them and just say, hey, you know, I'd like to know more about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And those of us who accept Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, we're not above pride either. There's going to be times in life where God is going to be leading us and we have to make the decision, am I going to follow God's leading or am I going to pretend that I'm still in charge? Am I going to try to tell him that, that I know better than him what my future holds? So I challenge you, don't fight against God. Don't fight against him. He, he has given you choice, yes but that choice has been given as a gift to you. Use it well, use it well to follow him and to, be, to obey him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the death, uh, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Lord.
Thank you that it promises that hope of forgiveness of sin and eternal life. I thank you so much, Lord, that Jesus rose again and just securing those promises for us. Lord, I just want to pray that we would not let the crowd sway our decisions. Lord, that we would not let the crowd be more important to us than being obedient to you. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to understand that you are the one who we will stand before uh, in eternity. You are the one who will judge us. And Lord, the only way to be in a relationship with you and to be welcomed into your eternal home is through what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So Father, I pray that if there's anybody here that does not know that today, that they would place their faith and trust in you and receive that great gift that you offer. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. There are plenty of donuts out there. Go out and enjoy yourself and have a great week.